Podcasters, it's On the Shelf, the podcast that celebrates all of the young adult novels that we love on our shelves. Presented by the Teen Advisory Board of NC Raleigh's Quail Ridge Books, the home for all of your literary needs. Thanks for listening to On the Shelf. Today we have a very exciting episode. We'll be interviewing bestseller Phil Stamper, the YA author of The Gravity of Us, and soon to be released As Far As You'll Take Me. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Tab Podcast On the Shelf. We are here with another amazing episode. We're super excited because we have an amazing, great author to interview today, our second author interview. This is big stuff for the podcast. We're excited. We have the incredible, the amazing Phil Stamper here. Yay! We do a an applause. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Phil. How's it going? Uh, going okay. Um, you know, just here in here in Brooklyn. So, just fair warning: there might be like sirens going past my apartment every three or four seconds. Um, that's just kind of how podcast recording works here. <laughs> so, if I hear a siren, I'll stop and then I'll continue my response. Um, but uh, yeah, just fair warning. I tried to, you know, minimize all of the sounds, but you know, you can only do so much here. <laughs> Sure thing. That's no problem. And yes, so we're on Zoom. So hopefully we don't have Zoom craziness, but we are just going to go like always. And it's going to be a great podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much, Phil, for joining us. Um, I'm so excited. And I know that we've got a bunch of TAB members here that are also excited. Um, To start us off, I just wanted to ask you if you could give just like a brief introduction to who you are as an author and then also what your books are about, because you've got two books out, or one book out and one coming that's really exciting. So if you could just give a brief intro about that. Yeah, of course. Um, So I am Phil Stamper. I am an author of queer books for teens, essentially. Uh, My world is very much contemporary. Uh, That is where I like to, uh, where I like to stay. Uh, So no fantasy here, Um, but in my uh, debut novel, which came out last February, The Gravity of Us, I was a lot. I was allowed to play a little bit with speculative uh, near future world, where I reimagined the '60s space race, uh, where two sons of astronauts fall in love while their parents are fighting for the same spot on the world's first human mission to Mars. And that was just an amazing experience because I got to put in all of my nerdy uh, NASA knowledge to use, and I got to. Um, make the coolest like main character who's so not like me (laughs) like the bravest boldest person who just didn't care what people thought Um, and I was just able to like have a lot of fun with that book Um, and then to follow up um, as far as you'll take me my second book comes out in February of this year um, which I don't know when this will air so maybe it's already out if it's out go buy it (laughs) if it's not out uh, pre-order but it is. Uh, it follows 17-year-old Marty Pierce, who is a he is an oboist from Kentucky who moves to London to pursue a career as a professional musician. Um, along the way, he kind of fights a lot of anxiety uh, that comes up uh, because if you've ever been in an airport with anxiety, you will understand why. Uh, But a whole international move is an entirely different world for him. Um, He also finds, uh, he leaves a 
kind of more repressive, um, very religious household where he doesn't feel like he can be himself in Kentucky um, and ends up finding kind of his own family in London um, and then has to reconcile what his town family actually means to him versus his friends back home versus his family back home and who who gets to be a part of his life. And that is, I think, something that I, I hope everyone can really relate to, even if they don't have the same kind of issues that Marty has is because you know, when you're making, choosing your friends, choosing your found family, um, you know, there are people that really mean a lot to you along the way, and they can hold the same place that, you know, your parents can, or your sister can, or anything like that, um, and I just really wanted to explore family with this one, um, as I did with my first book as well, but in this one, I wanted it to focus on, you know, who do I let into my life, who am I as a person, and who can I be? Um, and he also falls in love, of course, as any person in my book will do um, immediately, uh, because, you know, why wait, um, <laughs> which we could talk about later. Uh, but this guy is not exactly the best fit for him. And so he's trying to make it work and trying to figure out what that means for him, um, all while, you know, trying to exist as a human in a different continent. And it's just... Um, it's an adventure, we'll say. Um, it's an adventure where we all grow along the way, uh, which is just my favorite kind of stories to write. Thank you for such a wonderful introduction. Um, I really enjoyed re reading your book and I'm really excited to hear more from you this afternoon. Um, I'm gonna get us rolling with some more questions. And my question is what inspires Great. you to write books for young adults? Yeah, so I, I first started writing young adult fiction back in 2012, I think. And uh, so like I, forever ago, I don't know. Um, and the reason I started was because I was, I was such a huge reader in high school, but the books that I read in high school were all like Agatha Christie novels, um, John Grisham novels. Like I shouldn't have been reading John Grisham as a teen. It's just not interesting. But like I was reading them anyway. Um, and so I, I was like such a big reader, but I never really found something like, I, I mean, as much as I loved Agatha Christie novels, read like 40 of them in a year, like absolutely obsessed. As much as I loved that, I really never read anything where I got to kind of see myself in the cover, um, in the cover, in the contents, anywhere in the book. Um, I never really felt connected to a lot of the characters I was reading. And, um, I, and really that meant that in college, I stopped reading and I was like, okay, well, I'm, adult, I'm an adult now and I, I should be reading all these books that we, you know, that I didn't get to in high school. And then I was like, but why? Like nothing really interests me. Um, and then 2012 hit after the Hunger Games and after Twilight and I was reading those and I was like, crap, I love this. Like I, I love the Hunger Games so much. And then I read every single dystopian book that came after that. And it just ignited that feeling of like, wow, I love what I'm reading, which I didn't have for a very long time, like back since like Animorphs time when I was reading those books in middle school, like that I was trying to like, when I was reading that, I just kept getting that feeling of like, oh, this is it. This is why I love to read. And it just kind of clicked for me that like after reading 17 of them, you know, you're like, oh, maybe I could write one. And so at the same time, luckily for me, I was um, I was working as a PR person uh, for an organization, which meant I did write for a living technically. Uh, but what I was writing were mainly uh, press releases and like really boring stuff. And like it basically just saying like this organization just released this and that's good because this. 
And it was like all form, like copy and paste stuff. It didn't feel like really engaging writing. And I was so checked out right away, even though I had, had only really been in the workforce for a couple of years. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, I hate this kind of writing. So I'm gonna try to rejuvenate that um, by doing fiction writing on the side. Um, and so I wrote my first dystopian novel. That's, you know, you know, really won't see the light of day. We won't talk about it here. Uh, but in writing that, that I really started to understand like, okay, this is, you know, I'm writing books that I would want to read and I can make this, like, I could actually make this a thing. Like I want to work on my craft. I want to get to this level. Um, and so I started writing contemporary after that because I had started reading, um, you know, Simon versus Homo Sapiens Agenda, obviously. Like, check that one off my uh, list right away. Um, I had read so many like Jeff Zentner's books, um, which I absolutely loved. Um, it's just, there were so many like YA contemporary books that I just fell in love with. And I, I could have had this experience as a teen. And I was so frustrated that, you know, when I was a teen, most of what we had was like Judy Blue and no one else. Um, and so I was like, okay, there's this huge rush of fiction that like, didn't exist. It can be queer too, which is like something I had never really heard of um, until Simon Versus, which she was not the first to write a queer book by any means, but it was the first that I had read. And it's just, it, it just, it meant so much to me that I just like kept writing, kept writing. And then, you know, now I can't imagine writing really anything else. Um, so I don't, I don't see myself going to adult anytime soon, uh, but I just love the young adult space. And I, um, you know, maybe will pursue middle grade in the future as well, because I just think queer stories in those, those spaces are so necessary. And there are just so many different things like, that we can, we can say in these books and different experiences we can cover. And I just, um, I just love it. So um, I hope that, that was a, that was a long-winded way to say, I like YA, so I write, I write it. <laughs> No, that was great. I definitely can relate to plowing through just book after book in that dystopian space in middle school and oh just God. not being able to put it down. Yeah, I mean, they were entertaining, if nothing else. Um, <laughs> so. I think Taylor has just joined and she has the next question. Yes, I'm so Hi. sorry that I was late. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I just wanted to ask about your experience with music because I know um, based on reading up on you that you uh, studied music but I was interested did you study the oboe like Marty or a different instrument and then also have you ever done like the street playing that he does I was really interested by that yeah uh, that's a really good question uh, I'll, I'll answer the, the second part first uh, the street playing no 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 I would never do that um, I so I, I am gay musician with anxiety. So like, clearly there's a lot of me and Marty. So we'll, we'll just, you know, put that out there right away. Um, and so I was trying to think like, you know, he's, he's uprooted his life to live in London. What would be the scariest thing that he would have to kind of confront and do? And, you know, as a performer, you're so used to performing in the spaces that you know, and everything is like, so it feels kind of safe of like, this is, you know, we're in a concert hall, like I should be performing, that all makes sense. And then when you take him out of there to place him, you know, on the subway platform to perform there, that's when it really like, oh, okay, people are like, not asking for this experience that I'm giving them, like, I am, you know, 
he's he just like kind of he ends up like enjoying it along the way but like it was such a big thing for his character growth to make him do that and it's something that I'm sure that I would have benefited from as well but I would never have done that because I am way too scared so I was able to like force Marty out of his comfort zone so that I could stay in mine basically so that's to answer your second question um to the broader first question about music of course I I mean I music has been a I just like smacked my door. Um, sorry that you, you heard that. Music has been such a huge part of my life um, since I was like a kid. Honestly, like three, I think is when I started piano lessons. Um, and I, I kept them up for many years. And then I stopped playing piano or I stopped taking piano lessons, but then I would, uh, because I, I really didn't like what I was playing. Like I had you know taken 10 years of lessons at that point. I knew what I was doing, but I just wanted to play stuff that I liked. And so I was um, finding like video game music or film scores or, you know, things that I, you know, just pieces that I loved. And I was like, I could just play this for fun. I'll work these up. I'll still practice. Like I can still have practice time. And my parents thought I was just gonna like completely drop playing the piano forever, quit music forever. Um, but actually once I started playing things I loved then I really found my love for music. So I had all the technique going into this. And piano was always my primary, even through college. Obviously college, you have to take lessons, you have you have a tutor, you, the tutor is like very good. And, you know, I, I was, I would take four hours of lessons a week. And I would also have like 10 hours in the practice room a week. It was like, I mean, I, I never want to go through that again. Um, it's so rigorous. Um, and so I was really happy that I got to put the like music school element in there, but also keep Marty outside of that school. Um, because spoiler alert, he doesn't make it into that school. And this is all kind of a front for Marty to pursue his life in London while his parents think he's at this school. Um, but music for me, like I loved, once I started playing songs that I loved, um, I got my clarinet out again. That was the first thing I played in band and I relearned it basically. And I went from there to the saxophone, to the flute, to trumpet, to like basically any instrument I could get my hands on. Um, and my band director was actually really nice at letting me check out like a French horn or an oboe, things that I could not really buy because they're really <laughs> expensive. And I, you know, renting them is expensive too. Um, so I really felt it. As, as a whole, like, I, I mean, it was, there was just nothing, there, there was no instrument that I picked up that I was uh, like this. Each of them brought very different to music. And even though piano was my primary the whole way through, there was so much I loved about, about trying something new and to experience a new type of music. For the oboe, I did play it in high school. Um, I performed it. Hmm, I think for like one band show, it was really not much. Um, I, I, it's, it's such a hard instrument. I mean, it's like you get like, if you play too much, then you get these headaches in your brain because you, there's the opening for the, the reeds are so small that the air goes back into your body. Um, like you don't get enough air out. So like, that's a problem. There's so much setup, like wrapping your reeds and creating new reeds and shaving them down takes hours. Um, and then you also have to like dunk it in like a cup of water for 10 minutes before you even play or you won't be able to play. So there's just like, there's so many other instruments that I could just pick up and go. And I really like that actually. Um, and oh my God, if you chipped an oboe reed, it's like, well, there goes three hours of my life that I just spent making that. So it was not my favorite instrument, but I really loved how I it kind of, 
I wanted to give Marty an instrument that made him the lead. Oh, I just smacked my computer. Sorry, I'm like in a very confined space right now, obviously by how I'm smacking things. Um, I wanted to give Marty an instrument where he was the lead. And even though he never felt like the, like the lead in his life, the protagonist in his story, things like that, I really wanted him to like be really proficient at an instrument that, that was the star of the show, like oboes you cannot miss. And that is, um, that was like very intentional. Um, they get all the solos. Um, like it's those kind of things that I was like, this is something where, you know, he needs to be so confident in this exact scenario so that when we break that and we take him out of it, um, and he learns to, you know, do a duet, like a guitar and oboe duet, like something he had never like done before on the subway platform, that it's really such an experience that broadens his own horizons. And I think for me, music was always about broadening my horizons. That's really cool. Um, I really like the idea that you were so intentional about the instruments that you chose for different people. And now I'm like, really curious. I'm thinking through like all the different characters and why you chose those instruments. And that's really interesting to chew on. Oh yeah, every yeah. single one was intentional. Um, I mean, and I even I even bring it into the text. Um, you know, Pierce, Marty's love interest, we'll say, is a um, is a trumpet. And I, I think I even say in the early chapters, he's a trumpet in every sense of the word. The word he kind of barrels through life like really bold and like almost kind of how Cal is in the gravity of us. See, there's he has um, of course he has insecurities. Of course he's not um, he's not always the the star of the show, but he does have that kind of energy. And and you know when you're in enough bands and uh, music ensembles, you get to know the personality types of who plays flute, who plays sax, who who makes that their personality trait um, because like it's just it's so it's so bizarre how we all like we choose our instruments and then somehow take on the personalities of them um and so that's why uh you know danny who's one of the friends there she plays flute um uh, very lead role high uh, flute and clarinet both are like lead roles in marty's life and you know being part of the woodwind trio like they are really connected in that way um but it, it's just like there there are things that like I, and I, I, yeah, I don't know. Every every instrument, it was so fun for me to like pick because that kind of figured out who that character was or like, yeah, some of these things, I don't even know if I got the character first or the, or the instrument first and then worked backwards from there, um, which is a, an in interesting way to, uh, to build a character. Um, I think this takes us really well into, I think Caroline is asking the next question, right? Yeah, so first I just want to say that like your idea of a person transforming into their like personality type based on their instrument is I played bass guitar and I feel like I kind of have the personality of like a bass guitar mm -hmm. of being just kind of in the background. But, yeah, yeah, um, I mean that's 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 the thing like bass guitar it's like it propels people forward it's like you can't have a band without a bass guitar like you need that but it's a supporting role and like that's why I always talk about how much I love the French horn because it is all about harmonies and it supports the melody like it does the counter melody it you can't just have flutes or you can't just I mean you can there are trios but like there you can't just have these um you can't just have lead guitar and somebody on stage because people are going to be like well that's that sounds weird um so that's yeah exactly the point of everyone kind of falls into their 
own preferred group because it's it's I mean it's weird science there should be studies done on it <laughs> yeah for sure um so my question is what was the brainstorming process of um where as far as you'll take me Ooh, uh for for the entire plot you think um, or just okay didn't know if there's anything specific you wanted me to cover um I guess it, so so much about the story was in, inspired by kind of my own life and my own experiences like I did not up and move to London at age 17 to be a music performance person I'm not that good at music um, but I did um I did go to school for music and I did I was in a ton of bands and music was such a huge part of my life like I said earlier that when I when I went to when I went to college um and I left my own kind of backwards rural town, um, I realized that like I could be myself, which like is something that is so bizarre to, to like look back and think like, when did I ever feel like I couldn't be myself? Cause you know, that was in 2007-ish that I like went, started college. And like to think that, you know, now like, yes, I, I've always been like, myself but then actually I think in high school and I was like no actually you know I had my own close friends who in high school who like some of them supported me some of them really didn't support me when I came out um, and I had my family who had their own kind of hang-ups with it but when I got to college it was such a fresh start in so many ways and the biggest way it was a fresh start was that I was coming out to people almost immediately because I felt so supported in my group of friends and it was one of those where you kind of like test the waters and you're like well I guess I should be honest because like this is my new friend group what do I have to lose um and like they're all great we you know we like to hang out and party and whatever so like they're maybe they'll be okay with it um or you know you in conversations you can usually tell if people are going to be cool about you being gay um and these people are coming from all over the country so like I knew that I was getting a different experience of that so I mean one thing I just really loved about coming out to people as a teenager was once I left my hometown, my village, actually, because technically you can't even call it a town unless it has 5,000 people. Um, that's the Ohio rule for whatever reason. So my village, my farming village that I left, um, I was able to come into college and, and just be myself for the first time. And I really wanted to capture that energy because I think it's still so important. I mean, I know we all have, we all hear that like, oh, we shouldn't have any more coming out stories or whatever. And I don't think this is a coming out story by any means. Um, it's, a, it's a becoming yourself kind of story. It's a coming of age story, absolutely. Um, but I wanted to show that like, okay, well, coming out is like big, but what happens after that? What happens when it doesn't go well? What happens when you have to plan your whole life around the fact that like some people just do not support you as a person? Um, and so that was kind of my whole brainstorming process of like, okay, this, these are the feelings that I'm having. This is what I want. And at, when I actually started writing this um, in London, because I went to grad school in London for publishing and creative writing, um, and I was had all these like great travels and I, that, that I experienced while I was there. So I was like, why don't I just like combine all this like amazing travel that I'm having, like a little, little diary of the places I'm going, like combine that with my experience of, you know, coming out and, you know, my experience with music and how it was like so transformative for me. 
Um, and when I combine those two into this like fun Euro trip slash coming of age story, um, it just really clicked. And it felt so personal to me because like, you know, I'm not Marty as a person. Um, there are plenty of things we share, plenty of um, experiences we share, but like I was able to really write it down and, and look back and say like, oh, this is a nice, this is a nice like summation of some of the things that have happened to me. This is a nice, uh, like the energy, the feeling of what has happened to me, what I went through. And, you know, I, I want people to read that and say like, oh, wow, like I'm actually currently in a conservative Christian household where I don't feel supported. Like, but it's nice to know that I'm not alone because I, when I was 17, it was, 2006 and we only had like Brokeback Mountain was the was the one movie out with um with any queer representation and spoiler alert like doesn't go well for them um so like that's all I had all I had were like bad mirrors out there but I want to have a good mirror and it's not saying like everything is totally fine like I didn't want this like you know I wanted a happy hopeful story but I, I didn't want it to be um I didn't want it to ignore the realities of the world in the same way that I did for the gravity of us because in this way I think both of my books can come together to like start a conversation of like this is you know this Cal from the gravity of us full support from day one is his own person is a very different person because of that uh, Marty is figuring it out along the way but that's okay too so I don't know if I fully answered your brainstorming question but those were the building blocks of like what made this story. And I think that was the really important part of like, what do I wanna say? Cause that's the biggest like thing you have to brainstorm when you're writing a book is like, I wanna say 800 things. How do I narrow that down? And like, how do I actually show it? Yeah, I mean, everyone brainstorms differently. Um, yeah. I think Laura has the next question so she can take it away. I do. So, and this one's kind of related to Caroline's question. So how was the overall writing experience from the gravity of us opposed to as far as you'll take me with like outlining and structuring to like actually writing the plot down? Yeah. Yeah. I love this question, but also it's like really hard <laughs> because it makes me reflect on the fact that like writing anything after you have a book in the world is impossible. Um, thankfully, I actually wrote the first draft of this book, an early draft of this book before The Gravity of Us, um, which helped me out a lot. I had to completely rewrite it, but basically um, there's a version of, of uh, as far as you'll take me that like went out to editors, I got an agent from it. Like it was, it was, it was out there and it had Marty act actually attending the school. And that wasn't really the story that I wanted to tell. Um, and it really didn't have, I mean, there were so many things that we had to change, but the still the core of the story was still there. And so when it came to me having to talk to my editor about what my second book and my two book deal would be, I sent this to her and I was like, hey, I, I understand that like, this might not be it. Like, you know, at that point I had received like 80 rejections. So I was like, I get it. Okay, some people aren't gonna think this is it. But I was like, but if you see anything here, any like glimmer of something, like I would love to save this because this is still a story I want to tell and I want it out in the world. I said, I would completely rewrite it. Um, I had to completely rewrite it. Um, I mean, the characters mostly stayed the same. There are a few that I combined, few that I changed, but the, the core characters stayed the same. The location stayed the same, like those kind of things anchored it. But there was so many, I mean, God, I had to rewrite the relationship between Marty and Pierce 
probably like eight times. And in each time, like it was just a little different. Like in one, Pierce really was the super guy. In one, Pierce was this like evil monster, basically. <laughs> and like, I just had to keep going back and forth to be like, well, I'm not trying to say that like, I don't want you to come away with this and say like, oh, Pierce is so bad. Um, he's just, he's bad for Marty in this scenario. And I think there's so much that he learns from it that we all learn from our relationships that don't go well, that I was just like, ah, I, like I know what I want to say and I know what I, like, I think I know what I want to say. I, oh, there's the horn. Um, <laughs> I think I know what I want to say. I just need to, I need to figure out how. Um, and that was, I, so that was, that was challenging, but at least I didn't have to start from scratch. I mean, I guess it would have probably been easier to draft something from scratch, but um, it, it was challenging because I was already getting feedback from the gravity of us. And when I started writing my third book, which comes out in 2022, it was really hard to write uh, because all you think are these Goodreads reviews and these like the things like, I, you know, I don't, I try not to read all my Goodreads reviews. Sometimes I'll go to the Gravity of Us, I'll filter it by five star if I'm feeling down about myself and I'll just read those and I'll be like, yes, I am the best. Um, and then I'll just pretend nothing else is there because like, I, again, like you low, lower ratings, that stuff's not for me. It's for readers to decide whether they want to pick up the book. Um, but early on, you know, between, um, you know, the early review copies that are out there, the Instagram posts that people love to tag you in, um, even if they're bad, like, I, you, you get to see a lot of feedback about your book. And so in my mind, I'm just thinking, oh, and also trade reviews, too. Those can be a little uh, scary, like Kirkus and, um, and Booklist and all of those. Um, because they're professionals in the industry saying like, this is what we like, this is what we didn't. Um, and thankfully they, they were all pretty good for me, but I've seen some bad ones and that's always just a scary thing to think about. And so I'm, I'm like writing, I'm rewriting as far as you'll take me, which had a different name at this time, you know, everything's changed. And I'm just like, I'm so worried that, you know, this is a fast relationship, but some people didn't like that it was kind of too insta-lovey with the gravity of us. Like that was feedback that I got and I totally understood stand believe me um and uh, to each their own but like i was like this is full insta love because you know cal or sorry oh my god marty and pierce with with marty he is just a i mean he's such a repressed queer kid who's just looking for someone to validate him so of course when he gets his first real crush that like can turn into something he's going to do anything he can to make it work and I wanted to get that through and I think I did, but it's just like, oh God, what if people read it and they're like, oh, Insta love, boo. And you know, and then at the end of the day, it's like, well, this is just still the story that I wanted to tell. And like, if that turns people off, I totally understand. Like, you know, people have their own experiences with this, but I was hoping that like, I would be able to do so in a way that like, I could write the story that I want to write without taking every negative critique into account. Um, or even the positive ones, because the things that some people loved about the gravity of us, um, it being this wonderful accepting world where homophobia is just not really on the page anywhere. It's acknowledged, but it's not given any page time. Um, you know, I, people love that. And then they see my second book and it's like all homophobia, the musical, like, so <laughs> it's, it's just like, it, you know, there are different stories. So, you know, it's, it's not going to be for everyone, but it's going to be for some people that maybe even the gravity of us wasn't for. And I had to keep reminding myself that even, and especially with my third book, I'm like, who cares anymore? I just, I'm just going to keep writing and hopefully, hopefully you'll like it. It's out there. <laughs> so like, that's kind of my process in that, 
it's terrifying. And the hardest part of it is definitely knowing the feedback that's out there for books that you've already written um, and not wanting to address it necessarily in your own books to like kind of keep your own um, your own narrative um, and try to keep that protected a little bit. Very cool. Um, yeah, back to what you were saying before about how different people really resemble their instruments. My dad is like mm -hmm. a super big musician and his like primary instrument is the trumpet. And when you were saying that, oh. I was like, oh, interesting. Oh my God. The trumpets are so obnoxious in band. Um, <laughs> and like, but I love them. Like, you know, I mean, I get it. You you literally, like, you, you play the lead, you're the loudest, you get the, you're the noisy. Like, it's just it's it's your role like if you choose to like be proficient in that it's because you you are that type of person and like the I mean of course there are, are trumpets that are confident or whatever you know like we all have our own journeys but I just know that the trumpets I worked with like oh wow confidence through the roof like stealing every show like it just like and I love them for it like as someone who's who's not in competition with that over on my dinky piano, um, like it's it's like good. Go have your go have your journey. That's fun. Yeah, it's a very loud instrument. <laughs> yeah, and I I ended up um, in band. I settled with um, so so just in college. I was in marching band, and I started on the drum line. I played the cymbals um, because I was like a show cymbal player, where I would like crash them and then spin it down. I mean, it's just it was. It hurt a lot, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and then my second year I played tenor sax, which is, I think it's the instrument that everyone who is just so chill to the point where it's like, are you high? Like that that's the kind of vibe you get from the tenor sax. So I really love that because it's very intense on the drum line. My third year, I was the uh, drum major. So I got to lead the band and actually conduct it, um, which, you know, one upping the trumpets there, um, actually directing the band is probably the highest your ego can ever go. Um, and then my final year, I played alto sax, um, which is kind of where I settled in, where you get to play the counter melody, you get some really cool parts, but otherwise you're just kind of having fun, which I, I like that. Alto sax is also pretty easy to play compared to the others. Like don't, don't tell any altos, you know, but like it's one of the easiest to play. And I love that. <laughs> Awesome. So I believe Christina has the next question, so I'll let her take it away. Okay. Yes, I do. And I feel like this is a conversation about different characters representing different mm -hmm. things is such a great segue into it because there's so many like different characters within the book. Like it's a, it's, it's um, focused on Marty, but it's kind of an ensemble story. Like he's got all mm -hmm. his found family. They're, they're just like really complex, really cool characters to read about. So I was just wondering um, which character is, was your favorite to write? Ooh. Um, that's such a good question. I think mine was actually Danny. Um, so I mean, so I, so Sophie is probably Marty's closest friend um, in, in this new group. And like, she offers a lot of support and kind of complexity as a character in their relationship. And I, I really love that relationship because I want you to compare that directly to his friend, Megan back home, who's a little bit more controlling they both want to push him out of his shell, but they do it in such different ways. Like I really wanted to show that discrepancy and show like what is a friendship that could last forever versus what is one that you kind of need to like put boundaries on. Um, so I loved that, but I really fell in love with the character of Danny, who is the the flautist who 
um, who was also a composer, who is there really just to like, to support Marty. I mean, she has her own story and like she has her own goals and she is, she loves busking and um, playing in the subway and like that kind of thing. That's always just like her big thing. Um, she's the one who kind of helps convince everyone else to do it. She's also the leader on a lot of these uh, group travel things that they do. Um, so she's a leader in her own way, which is very flute-like, um, but she's also, she is also like a softer supporting character in that like Marty probably would confide more in her than he would with Sophie because she, they just, they get each other on such a specific musical level. Um, and it's like, who's your perfect duet partner versus who's your closest friend? And like Marty and um, Danny are like that perfect duet partner. Like I always saw that for them. And it was just so fun to like build out that character who was really just like a side character to start with. Um, and then you get to like build their own story and make them less more less of a like cardboard cutout. Um, and I got to do that with you know with Shane with all, all the other uh, the whole crew really. Um, but I do I do love Danny and I um, yeah I, so that's who I would choose my favorite. Awesome yeah when reading the book I definitely fell in love with all the characters because they were just such cool people. Thank you. Wow. I want to know these people in real life. I think it'd be really cool. Um, all right, I think Taylor has the next question. So we'll transition into that now. Okay. Yeah, just sort of taking the last question one step further, I was really interested. So hypothetically, if you were to write the book from the point of view of a different character, or if you were to write like a sequel that was a different character's point of view, which one would you choose? I don't know if you do the same, if you do Danny or something like that. You know, I would like to, I don't think we could last a whole book with this, but I, I would like to explore Skye's character more. And so this is his childhood kind of, well, so Megan is his, is his like best friend from home, but the kind of third friend of their group is Skye. And he plays such a weird supporting character where he's, he's kind of replacing Marty along the way as Marty is get, getting more independent and farther like away from his friends. But also Skye stands up in a way that Marty never does. And he is there really on the sidelines trying to rein Megan in when she is making mistakes. Um, and I just think that like what he goes through and what he experiences, there's so much more that I, we could have, I could have gone into, but I really didn't want the focus to be on Kentucky. Um, and so like in the sequel, I would love to see more because, you know, at the end of the story, I, you know, he and Sky are still trying to be friends. And like, that's just kind of the choices you make. Like there are a lot of mistakes made by all parties in the book, um, no spoilers there, but I think he and Sky like have the potential to be those, you know, high school friends that still catch up. And I think that's just kind of an interesting, I, I, I would want to know more about what he went through behind the scenes with Megan and um, I would like to know what Megan was going through as well, because I could, you know, but I don't really want to write from her perspective necessarily. Uh, so I think he is kind of like a good wallflower of that whole, of, of like Operation Kentucky, like that whole base. Um, and so that, that would be an interesting way because all of the other characters, um, all the ones in the UK, um, they, they are so great with, where they are. And I'm not gonna write something from Pierce's perspective because I think we give him enough screen time and explanation of like his choices. 
Um, but I think Sky is the one that like I see the most potential for for more. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Oh, sorry. Um, oh no, you're fine. I was just gonna say, um, in talking about Kentucky, that kind of relates to what I want to ask you. Um, when I was reading the book and when we were having conversations about the book and preparing to interview you, we talked a lot about how important it is for there to be um, YA books for people in the LGBTQ community who don't, especially young people who don't, you know, see a lot of themselves a lot of the time in what they're consuming, whether it be movies or TV shows or anything. Um, and so I was thinking about, you know, how awesome would it be like if a kid in Kentucky in the same situation picked up this book and really felt seen or really anywhere it doesn't have to be Kentucky but yeah. um and you've spoke on this a little bit throughout the interview but I was just curious um you know wanted to hear a little bit more about why you think it's important um to write YA for queer teens yeah I, I mean so the, the 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 feedback that always means the most to me is when I get something from a queer teen um, you, whether it's an Instagram post or it's a DM or an email, like the, there are plenty of ways to contact me. Uh, but I, I love seeing those kind of um, those kind of pieces of feedback that aren't just I really love this about the book, but it's I saw myself in this, or I really understand Marty or Cal's journey because I went through this. Um, and a lot of people do reach out and and say like really sweet things about why they think it's so important to like see themselves. Um, and so anytime I get a, a piece of feedback, I mean, again, this is the thing that like as an author, you kind of, you put the books out there, you hope it reaches the right people. And like, thank God, Gra The Gravity of Us was so popular, like not, not doing my own work here, but like it was popular enough in a commercial way that like it was out in the world for a lot of people so that the people who needed it most could find it. Because if you market it in a way that's like very specific for a group of people, it's really hard to get into, it's, it's really hard to, like you can't just get your book in the hand of queer teens who are, you know, who need that experience. You have to get it out to everyone and you have to get some sort of like popularity so that Barnes and Noble keeps it on shelves. And like, you know, those kind of things that are just like not what you wanna think about when you're writing, but it's so important because you need the books out there so that people can easily grab it. Um, or they see the cover, they like it, so they like get the audiobook later or something. So it's like in their head somewhere. Um, and so I, it's just, it's really like I put it out there. I didn't know what would happen. Um, and, you know, I got so, so many pieces of great feedback, and I always try to screenshot them and like really remember that like the things that I write, like the reason I write is correct. Like, you know, I'm writing for queer teens to see themselves, to see mirrors, to, um, to like have experiences that you know, even if it's vicariously through people, um, if they're not at a place where they can be out or you know experience these things themselves, um, I just think it's really important to tell those stories, and it's it's kind of reaffirmed every time I get a piece of feedback like that. And I just got actually my first like really like hit the nail on the head type of feedback from Marty's story that like because it's it's still early obviously um a lot of it is early review copies which like everyone, you know people are saying lovely things I, I absolutely love that um but there were there was someone who reached out to me saying that like you know I'm currently I had to move back in with my parents like it was, it was a teen a queer teen but to move back in with his religious Trump voting parents and like really felt 
stuck in a way that he saw himself he saw himself in Marty's story and so even though he wasn't at a place where he could escape to London or anything dramatic like that he still really loved reading about this because um he could like he could he could relate and like that is the biggest thing is like we need stories where that we can relate to um and everyone needs stories that they can relate to regardless of their experience so um so yeah I mean that's that's really every time I get a piece of feedback like that I'm like okay this is why I write stuff like this and I think in the future you know I've touched a lot on like these big moves and like and I, I think I really love kind of taking characters out of their element and like watching them panic and like that's kind of what all my stories have been so far um, but I do want to write more stories about like queer excellence in small towns in rural villages in places like that um, because Right now, a lot of what I'm saying is escape. That's where you'll find joy. And I don't think that's the story for everyone. Um, and that's something I really wanna push a little bit more in my future books is that, yeah, you should feel comfortable to, to escape if you if you need to, um, you need to set these boundaries, you need to be your own person, you know. But in some stories I wanna say, but you could also be your own person in your rural town. Um, you know, I, and that's something that I think, you know, I saw Schitt's Creek and I, it really, it really like, it meant a lot to me as like a small town queer person of like, oh, wow, there is no homophobia in this show. And like, it's a rural town, like they could have so easily gone there, but it kind of gave me hope of like, okay, you know, you know, I do know people in, who are still in like small towns and they're thriving. Um, and so we need more stories about queer teens thriving in small villages, small areas. Um, so that's kind of what's, what I'm thinking of in the future when I am, kind of writing more stories for queer teens. I love that. And I, I love hearing about that feedback that me um, is really hopeful, but it also does address like harsh realities. And that I feel like that probably set in with um, the person who reached out with you. Like they feel like they're in a harsh reality right now, but your book sort of gave them a little bit of hope and could see something else. Yeah, exactly. So the next question is mine again. And um, it, it also is another one that bounces perfectly from this question. Um, so you've been writing books that target perfectly the queer teen audience. And you mentioned how you have a lot of them reaching out to you. Um, if you could like tell one thing to like, I don't know, I don't wanna make this like too broad, but if you could give queer teens advice then um, what would be the one piece of advice that you would want to give them? Um, yeah, that is that is broad, um, but it's a good question. And um, I'm trying to, I'm stalling so I can answer the question in my brain before I say it aloud. Um, no, um, I guess one thing that I would say to every queer teen is that there is always hope. Um, all of my stories have, right, like that should be what you take away from the story is a whole lot of hope. Like even if, you know, they, you know, you can't have a book where like bad things don't happen to the main character. Like not everyone's gonna have like a smooth, wonderful time. Um, the challenges that are presented in each book are going to be different. Um, some of them related to your sexuality, some of them not at all. Um, and I think then that's valid to have both those experiences. But through, through YA, I think what I resonate with most is knowing that there's hope for the future. Um, that's why so many books, 
you know, I always like to think of them as like happily for now, as far as, hap as opposed to happily ever afters, because it is just for now. Um, and like, even the bad stuff is just for now. And you need to like, yes, prepare yourself for the future, but like everything feels, sorry, there's a motorcycle going by. Just wait for that. There we go. Um, everything feels so intense when you are a teen and those feelings don't really die when you grow up. We'll say with, with lots of quotes, you can't see my video, but lots of quotes around grow up because you're, you, you're pretty much grown up when you're a teen, you're just still learning some things. Um, and I think it's just really important for us all to, to realize that like there, you know, you have a lot ahead of you as well. And um, even if you're in a bad place right now, you can make plans and work towards something and like make that your goal to like to find a safe space for yourself or to um you know or to like be comfortable be happy with who you are um and that's kind of the journey that all of my characters will always take because i think that's such a good it's a good ya um experience as well so i have a next question um, so I know that the Gravity of Us was a Goodreads finalist, which congratulations for that. Thank you. I just want to know what that was like. Wow. Uh, I mean, Goodreads has been so good to me. Um, I know that we all as authors uh, need to stay off of it for some reasons. Um, because, you know, again, like we, there, are, there are plenty of authors who read every single review and I'm like, how, why? That's not, that's not great for you um but goodreads i think is a great way to uh raise awareness of your book like that's the whole point is like you discover new books on goodreads um, because your friends add it to their shelves or your friends review it and i've been so lucky with um with the response to a lot of my books that or to a lot two there are two um to both of my books that have been up there um and the gravity of us like right away started getting a lot of um people adding it to their shelves uh, as soon as the cover reveal dropped that was a huge moment for it and there was just this kind of like I had so much time because I got this book deal in 2017 but the book came out in 2020 so I had a lot of time to use Goodreads to my advantage to like really make that like the home base of if you're excited about this book go here go here add it to your shelves comment about how you're excited about it like focus on that um, and I think that you know very early on I was in the like most anticipated YAs of 2020 for Goodreads, which is huge because they go based off of likes and based off of ads to shelves. Um, and that just happened again for as far as you'll take for 2021, which also very honored about. Um, and so it's like, I think there's really no tool that is better for finding out about books than Goodreads right now, um, especially as we can't just like browse bookshelves as easily as we used to um, with the pandemic. And so, I mean, I, it was such a great feeling to like, to see that happen in a place where I've given so much of myself or my energy toward, um, because you can't control anything in the publishing process, but like, you can see what's, what's working for you. And then you kind of put it, that's why it's like, I'm on Twitter because Twitter works for me. And I love that. Um, I'm on Instagram too, but like that one, I, you know, it's pretty to put up pictures, but like, I care a little bit less about that because Twitter is kind of where I do most of my work. So it's like wherever you find where your, um, where your book's gaining traction, like monopolize on that as much as you can. Um, and 
the thing about Goodreads is that it's fully for the readers. So like, I, I, and I just, I love that. I loved, I've always used Goodreads like since I think 2012, whenever I started writing books, like I was reading, you know, 50 books a year, logging them on Goodreads, reviewing them, which I've taken down all the reviews because yeah, I'm an author now. Um, can't really trash people's books anymore. But I, um, but I just, I always loved it as a reader. I think it's a wonderful tool. Um, and then, you know, getting the news that it was a semi-finalist and then, you know, seeing some of the people that it beat out for finalists, I was like, are you guys sure? Like, <laughs> Uh, questioning people's uh, no because like there's so many books I was like I would have voted for that if I wasn't on there I would, I would have voted for this if mine wasn't on there but then I you know, I voted for myself because you know I had to I had to stay true to myself but um, yeah it was a lot of fun to to go through that whole experience and beg people for uh, for uh, um, for votes yeah that's really cool so Honora take the stage yes um so my question, I think it's kind of a two-parter, sort of. So um, like, what are your favorite genres to read, like for just reading for fun, or if you're reading, trying to like research something for one of your books? Um, so for fun, I, I mean, YA Contemporary is still kind of where I, where it's where I live. And like, I don't know if we can call that for fun because I do it for work, but like, obviously I enjoy it. So um, it's kind of for fun slash for work because I have to read a lot to blurb them, to blurb some books now. Uh, I have to read them to kind of, if I'm on a panel with someone, I want to make sure I've read their book so I can talk to them about it. Um, so I would say mostly I read a lot of queer YA, a lot of contemporary YA. Um, and so I, that's kind of my world. Um, I do like sh shifting that a bit when I'm um, in, I don't want to say research mode because like, I'm not, I, I don't have to do a lot of research for my books, even with The Gravity Bus, which took a lot of research. But at that point, I had already read like 50 different um, biographies or autobiographies, memoirs about uh, the space race, which is kind of what I brought into that story about the actual 60s space race. Um, so I would say the answer to your second part of the question is um, I, I love literally any memoir that is based on um, an astronaut or someone at Mission Control's experience with the 60s space race. Um, and like all, anything with NASA history is like huge for me, um, just because I'm so obsessed with all of that. But I, I think those are the ones that I really, really love to read. Because um, it also recharges me in a different way. Because when you're reading something that's a little bit more academic or a little bit more um, uh, I guess real world nonfiction. Um, it's just such a different feeling than um, than the stories that we get in fiction, and so it's nice to balance a little bit. And I would say currently I'm I'm reading The Invisible Life of Addie Larue by V. E. Schwab, which is an adult fantasy, and I'm loving that just because it's it's so nice to like read something that's not YA because if you read like like I do like 80 YA books a year, um, it starts to all kind of sound the same because we obviously use a lot of the same tropes. We use a lot of the same language. It's um, there's a certain expectation of format and um, it, it, they're not the same stories but they can sometimes feel that way if you don't break it up a little bit. And so reading something that is wildly outside of YA contemporary, which is, um, which is adult fantasy, um, I, I just absolutely love to take that break and to like really like soak that in so that when I go back to YA Contemporary, I'm recharged. 
Awesome. So that goes pretty much directly into Elise with our final question. Okay. So I'll let her do that. Great. Thanks, Honora. And thank you so much, Phil Stamper, for joining us and answering all mm -hmm. these questions. It's been such a good time. Um, so for the last question, you already mentioned a book um, that you're reading, but I'd also want to ask, since our podcast is called On the Shelf, um, if there are any other books that are currently on your shelf, um, to do a little cheesy pun there, um, yeah. that you have been enjoying and getting inspired by. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I really love uh, Dazzled by Ryan Lasala. Uh, that came out um, as of this recording last week. Um, and I was part of the launch for that actually. And it's so much fun. Um, if you liked Ryan LaSalle's first book, which was Reverie, which was this huge, um, elaborate, complicated world of fantasy that was so engrossing and wonderful. Um, he decided to move to YA Contemporary and he did that like just as well. Like he was able to like shift gears perfectly and like write a good YA Contemporary, which still kind of blows my mind. Uh, because contemporary, I think, takes a little bit more uh, focus than fantasy. Fantasy, you can really build that world and get lost in the world building for ages. And like, and I would still like read along and it would be amazing for, for at least like plot focused why contemporary, I think you really do have to focus on the plot. Um, and he was able to do that in such a clever way. Like he does like uh, alternating chapters between like you know, before the, the main characters break up and then after the main characters break up and it's all in this like dazzling, uh, dazzling world of uh, kind of a Comic-Con experience with cosplay competitions. And it's just so fun and interesting and like, not like anything else um, I've read in a while. Um, so I'd say I definitely recommend that. Um, one of my favorite books from last year was The Lucky Ones by Liz Lawson. Um, and so that one I try to, re to recommend as much as I can. It's, it's actually about, the aftermath of a school shooting, but I thought it was done in such a clever way that um, I just, it's its so, I, I know it was done with such intention and like such a thoughtful look at like what happens after. Um, and I, I don't want to spoil too much, but I just like, it was one of those where I was just like openly crying in an airport because I finished reading it and I do not show emotion while I'm reading. So it was big for me. I mean, not, I wasn't crying because it was like, sad because it was sad but it was just like oh god this is like so well done like sometimes you just cry because you're like god I wish I did this like it's just like so good um so those are two um that came out in the last year that I would definitely put on your shelves Yay, well, thank you so much for joining us again. This has been so much fun. Um, and for everyone yeah, thank listening, you. yes, thank you. Um, make everyone listening, make sure to get Phil Stamper's book, um, both of his books, The Gravity of Us, which is already out. You can get it on Quail Ridge. I'll link everything below. Um, and then as, as Far As You'll Take Me, which is coming out in February. Thank you so much for joining us. This was so fun. Yeah, thank you. It was nice to meet everyone. Thank you. Thank you. And we will see you guys next time on the podcast. Um, and make sure to check out all of Phil Stamper's stuff. I will link all of the information below so you can start to get to know his books and his work. They're really good books. We all loved, loved reading them. So I definitely we've, we've talked about them before and we will definitely talk about them again. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. Alrighty. Well, thank you so much. Bye, everyone. Uh, all right. Bye-bye.
For more Teen Advisory Board on the shelf or anything and everything books, visit us at our Instagram and Twitter at QRBTeen. And for more books to add to your shelves, stop by Quail Ridge Books in Raleigh or check out www.quailridgebooks.com.